Welcome to Beyond FY2, the podcast from the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Glasgow that will give you all the information that you need as you move on to the next stage of your career. You'll hear from trainees who have been where you are, trying to make sense of all the different choices you have and make one of the most important decisions affecting your future. In this episode, we'll be chatting with Anthony Gardner regarding FY3 or taking a year out and how he decided what career move was best for him. Hi Anthony, thanks very much for joining me today. Um, I hope you're well and I wonder if we could just start off with, um, tell, us a bit, tell us a bit about yourself and, and what you're doing at the moment. Sure, well first thanks very much for having me David. Um, for a bit of kind of background on me, um, I'm Anthony, I've just finished recently my foundation year one and year two on the Isle of Wight in the Wessex Deanery and I'm currently undertaking an F3. Um, that can mean quite a lot of things for quite a lot of people. Some people do uh, local work, some people to pick up JCFs or other posts. I'll be talking a little bit about what I've been up to, which has currently been locuming in the UK and shortly taking up a post as a PGY3 in New Zealand. What is your, what's your average day like um, you know, in, in, your, in your F3 year? So I think short answer is whatever you want it to be, I suppose. And that's part of the reason why I decided to go down the F3 path as opposed to a training pathway straight away. Um, I was looking for flexibility um, in my F3 year. I wanted to kind of be a bit of a master of my time and make decisions as to how busy or how not busy I wanted to be with my work. So when I was locoming on the Isle of Wight, having finished my F2 my average day was slightly dependent on, on how much I wanted to earn, how much I wanted to work and how much time off I wanted to have. So I was usually working only day shifts. I, I've done my F1 and F2 and wanted to take a bit of a breather from working nights and twilights. So I was usually working eight to five in a busy A&E department, but I think in quite a supported time when there's probably the most staff around and there's also a lot of patients coming through in the daytime. So I made a conscious decision to work only days as a locum early on because I thought that gave me a good lifestyle balance between work and being able to do stuff outside of work, which in my case was a lot of sailing, which is what I was looking forward to doing the first months having finished my F2. How did you decide to go for an F3 year? How did you decide to go down that path? Um, I think it's a very good question. Um, Part of that decision was kind of made for me. I applied for course surgical training, and although I did secure uh, a post, it was a it was in a place which was probably a bit too far for me to move again. I've got a partner here, and um, I moved her down already, or she joined me on the Isle of Wight. So have, trying to move her up to far north of England felt a bit too challenging logistically. So I made a conscious decision to take an F three year, build on my portfolio and reapply with the intent of getting a post that would be closer to what I've considered home in the UK for the last nine years. So that's really why I chose an F3, but I was conscious applying that there is quite a bottleneck in most specialties right now, irrespective of whether that's surgical or medical or ACCS or something else. And a lot of people aren't securing posts or not securing posts where they would want to go necessarily as their first choice. So I applied fully knowing that if I don't get the right post, that I will take an F3 year, with the flexibility to do what I kind of want to do with that year, which I'll talk about, I think, a little bit later, and um, reapply, having had the time to build my portfolio a little bit more and get um, better prepared for the next round of applications. So, yeah, you've spoken a bit about your, your building up your portfolio during this year. Um, so what, what kind of things have you, have you been doing to gain that experience 
uh, that will hopefully allow you to, to move into a position mm -hmm. that's more suitable for you and your position. Sure. So um, this is not specific to core surgical training. I think this applies to probably most um, further training pathways is that there is a mix of audit and research and leadership roles that contribute or give you points towards your um, portfolio. And I don't think any of them alone are particularly difficult to get, but they take time. So I've spent most of this time now doing a few audits. I've just finished a few research projects and I'm waiting to publish another one. So we've managed to get a Cochrane review out in the last few months, managed to take part in another study which was recently published. And I'm just in the final stages of submitting my first, first authorship paper, which is all these things that contribute positively to my portfolio down the line. So research has been a big part. Audit has been a big part. I've been doing some leadership work with the trainee committee with the Royal College of Surgeons and Physicians of Glasgow, which we work on together, um, which has been also uh, a fruitful uh, thing to undertake, considering that it also adds points, so to speak, to the portfolio down the line. So I've been focusing on those things mostly. And in the meantime, I've been trying to get experience in the operating theatre as well, trying to get some more cases to fill up my surgical e-log book in the meantime. At the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Glasgow, our members really do represent the full multidisciplinary healthcare team, with opportunities to join a number of boards, committees and networks. As a trainee, you could join our Trainees Committee, giving you the opportunity to have a say in the wider issues that affect your role, including training requirements, career progression, less than full-time training and well-being. How, how do you go around arranging the, you know, an F3 year? Um, what are the logistics of doing that? Mm -hmm. So I, the logistics of undertaking an F3 really depend on which pathway you choose. And I suppose there's three most common pathways that I'm familiar with and I think seem to be most common in the UK. One of them is going down the locum route, and that's oftentimes usually re requires you to register with a locum agency. A locum agencies, there are many around the UK and many represent different parts of the UK. Usually you start with introducing yourself, telling them what type of work you're looking for with what type of hours, and they tend to have a network of hospitals and departments that they commonly allocate locums to. It usually takes probably two to three months from my experience or what I've been seeing other people doing as well. Um, it usually involves a bit of HR stuff, a little bit of paperwork, making sure that your registration's prepared and everything's ready for starting. And then there's oftentimes some occupational health stuff that you have to do, as you would for any other hospital job, that you have to do before you start as a locum. But that's the, probably the locum pathway. And that's one that is really quite led by a locum agency. So each locum agency does it a little bit differently. So there's no prescriptive way of saying these are the steps. They usually guide you through it quite well. And they tend to have someone who takes care of you as a, their locum and they support you throughout that process. So it is very handheld, and I mean that in a, in a good way. I think it's very supported. Um, the second pathway seems to be the JCF or working on a bank uh, rotor, which is quite simply as, as a JCF or for bank, you have to apply for a job. A lot of these things are available through NHS jobs. A lot of those, unfortunately, you may hear about internally, and um, that gives you an advantage if you're at the hospital you want to stay at, but it puts you at a disadvantage if you're coming in from a different trust or a different deanery. Um, you usually have an application process. You have to answer quite a few questions about your previous experience, why you want to undertake uh, JCF. And then you often have to interview. And once you start on either bank or as a JCF, you tend to have a fixed rotor, either as a middle grade or as kind of a, an SHO. The third pathway, which is what I'm actually undertaking starting in October, is going abroad. And 
Um, unfortunately, David, I can't speak to how to get a job abroad everywhere. I could probably only attest to how to do it to New Zealand. Um, but it's quite similar to getting a lurking post in the UK, as in there's a lot of recruitment agencies in New Zealand which are quite versed and trained in bringing over UK uh, doctors who have finished their F2 and are looking for a PGY3 or equivalent of an F3 post or as a registrar post. That they, I think they use the term registrar a bit differently than we do. They call middle their middle grades registrars at times as well in this context. So you usually have to start probably four to six months before you intend to come over. I, I think I started in March or April and I'm going over there in October. So I gave myself probably around six months to do this. And it starts usually with sending over basic paperwork, cover letters, CVs, and trying to secure interviews. And these agencies tend to send around your CV and cover letter to all these hospitals. And depending on the time of the year and availability, you'll get back a certain amount of interviews from different hospitals. And once you get job offers, really you just have to make a decision of what type of work you're looking for. In my case, I was looking for a job where I was working weekends but not nights. I wanted a surgical specialty, such as plastics or urology. That's my interests. So I use that as my inclusion criteria for my post. But once you start that, there's a lot of things you have to jump through. You have to apply for a visa, which to New Zealand is a critical purpose visa. Um, this may be dated by the time this podcast comes out because I think that visa's coming to an end, but I'm willing to be corrected if that's not the case. Um, other things you have to do is you have to get registered with a council locally, and I think that'll be a case irrespective of whether you're going to New Zealand or Australia to another country, which usually involves a little bit of payment and usually involves a little bit of paperwork. And then otherwise, there often there will always also be hospital-specific forms that you have to fill out um, as you would with any other hospital. So in summary, six-month process, you secure a job first through an agency. So you, all you need to start with really is a CV and a cover letter. A cover letter is basically stating what your intent is for the next year as a PGY through as a registrar. And once you've secured a role, it's about making sure that you're registered with the council, have your visa approved, and have everything ready so that when you land in New Zealand, the only thing you have to worry about is maybe getting a car and opening up a bank account. Because those are the logistic things that you have to think about once you get there. What would you say you love most about F3 or was, or perhaps what has made you, what has, made it, what has allowed you to do with your time? For me, I think, I mean, the flexibility to do what I want and the flexibility slightly to travel and flexibility to do stuff for my portfolio was the most appealing, were the most appealing parts of an F3. Um, I think a lot of people are now either choose to do an F3, I think it's becoming more and more common as the bottleneck for training becomes greater and greater. But um, I think a lot of people are also being forced into it because they've applied and they did not succeed to secure a post. So I think a lot of people are ending up in F3 um, for one reason or another. And there's a lot of things that I think good to it. As we, if you work as a locum in the UK, you get to earn quite a bit more per hour usually. So there's a financial incentive to work as a locum. Um, you get to really often choose what types of hours you want. And since you are filling gaps in rotors, you tend to have quite a lot of autonomy or say over what types of hours you're willing to work. And you don't have to accept anything if it's not to your liking for whatever reason. For my case, I was still living on the Isle of Wight and I was really into my sailing. So I wanted to make sure that I could sail after work every single time there was a race. So I made sure I was working locums only when um, I wasn't sailing. Now that I'm waiting for my post in New Zealand, I've similarly picked out a rotor where I'm only, I think, working one in five weekends or one in four weekends with no nights. So similarly, it gives me the flexibility to travel around New Zealand, 
to enjoy my evenings and not have to work too many nights, which I've done plenty of over the last two years. So I think flexibility and control over your professional life are the main incentives. However, the, there's a lot of reasons why I think an F3 is a great idea. Is there any advice that you would give someone who's thinking about an F3 but isn't too sure? Um, and perhaps also, you know, just in, in terms of the execution of, of, of embarking on an, F, on an F3 year, sure. is there any advice you would give someone? Um, I'll start with the generic things because I think that's something that if you were to ask that question, I think everyone will say unanimously. Um, and those are start early. Think early and, you know, have a decision, have, have have that conversation with, I don't know, is it your friend or is it your partner or is it your family about where you'd want to go, where you'd want to be. Think about the cost of living, where you're going to go, what type of job that's going to be, why you're going to do it. Is it about the money? Is it about your training? Is it about having the time to work on your portfolio? So I think you need to answer that question to yourself probably 12 to six months before you even apply for anything. Um, I think the less generic advice I can probably give is, I think F3 is a really good um, alternative to not getting a post. So if you if, if you know what you want to do, if you, let's say if you know you want to do medicine, but you're not sure if your portfolio is quite there, I think there's no harm. And I think there's quite a lot of benefit out of applying anyways. Applying, going through that process. If you get an interview, you get basically free interview experience. You've prepared your portfolio already once. You see where your strengths and weaknesses in your application are. And you can either accept a dream post and the way you maybe don't take an F3, but if you don't get the post you exactly want, you have the kind of power to say, you know, I will not take this post and instead I will opt for an F3 and knowing that I did quite well, but this is what I have to work on in the coming months to make sure that next time around I get the job I definitely want. So I think that's probably the biggest piece of advice. Otherwise, make sure that you have all your paperwork very well organized. You'd be surprised how hard it is to get a reference letter um, in one week's notice. I think asking your consultants early, making sure that you've got all your certificates, be that your ALS or have your passport photos, things that you, you know are going to be needed, have those things needed early because the last thing you want is to have to faff to get that done last moment when you're waiting for a visa or for um, a medical council registration. So I think those are my three points I'd recommend the most for anyone who's considering an F3 post. Fantastic advice, Anthony. Thank you. Um, I'll just leave it up to you for any sort of final thoughts around FY3. Uh, I know we've covered a lot here today, um, but if you've got any other kind of thoughts or comments you would like to make. I think it's a, I, 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 am, I am positively surprised to see how many people are undertaking F3s now because I think the main, uh, the positive thing I've, I've noticed about doing an F3, which I didn't initially recognize, is that it gives you a time to slow down and think about where you want to take your career next. I think especially in the UK, you really have made your career decision in a way since you were a 15-year-old picking your A-levels. And then you moved on to medical school. And from medical school, you move on to F1. And from F1, you move on to F2. A lot of us have been on this treadmill for a long time, which is quite prescribed and well, uh, well-traveled. well However, it often means that I think, uh, at least I found this to be the case in my situation, I didn't have too much time to stop and think about where I want my career to go. And having taken this time out, which initially feels like, oh, I'm losing a year, I actually feel like it's giving me a lot of perspective and has cleared up um, my thinking on what I want to do moving forward. And I'm happy I took this time because if I picked up, a, say, a core surgical training post straight away, 
I don't think I would have been working in the specialties that now I intend to pursue now that I've had the time to slow down and reflect and think about where I want to take my career. I think that's something that's been, been the most valuable about my time in F3. However, there are plenty that I've already mentioned. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Anthony. Thank you very much, David. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Beyond FY2. Don't forget to check out our other episodes, which we'll be adding to on a regular basis. If you have any ideas on what we could include and what's helped you as you progressed in your career, we'd love to hear from you. Please give us an email at connect at rcpsg.ac.uk.